Hi, James. Ben, how are you? <laughs> I mean, I'm feeling a little bulky and slow moving. Donning this this suit of armor uh, in preparation for us talking about the Apple Watch. Is oh, constricting, yes. Constricting in movement. I, I think there was a prelude to this. I didn't get a chance to watch the keynote live, but uh, I, <laughs> there was, there was a, a little sign of things to come on Twitter where I looked down at my phone knowing the keynote was going on and I saw this tweet from you, something along the lines of, you know, in the long run, I'm going to be right about the Apple Watch. And I was like, oh my God. What are they announcing? What what's going on? It like it, it gave me this uh, this nervous energy to watch the keynote and find out what was happening. But I think we've come a long way since uh, a glory, a righteous glory days of that argument way back in episode eighteen or whenever it was. Yeah, we've we've come around to my position exactly. <laughs> Let's which, find I, out, which I think huh? actually, which I think actually is not not totally true. But uh, but I, it's my it's my duty to 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 say that. Right. So I, I, first, before we get to it, uh, our thanks to Mailchimp for sponsoring Exponent as they do every week. With Mailchimp, you can send better email. Whether you need to sell your products, share some big news, or tell a story, Mailchimp's campaign builder makes it easy to create email campaigns that best suits your message. Our thanks to Mailchimp for sponsoring this episode of Exponent. Yep. Thanks, guys. So I do want to talk about the iPhone. I wrote about it this week. I, I think this launch is is one of the most interesting launches, particularly from well, from from all perspectives. It's interesting from a product perspective for sure. But you know the sort of stuff that we usually talk about more of the the business side and the strategy side and, and the marketing side. It's arguably just as, if not even more, interesting. But but we have to set that aside. For 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 the watch, which I don't feel bad about doing. Uh, Tim Cook said during the keynote, uh, and I'm going to quote: "The first iPhone revolutionized a decade of technology and changed the world in the process. Now, ten years later, it is only fitting that we are here in this place on this day to reveal a product that will set the path for technology for the next decade." I completely agree with that. The problem is he said that at the wrong moment in the keynote, and what I mean is he said that before introducing the iPhone. 10 slash X, which everyone is thinking X, but they're calling it 10 for reasons I don't understand. But uh, but if anything, I mean, the iPhone 10 is, is very, you know, we're going to talk about it. It's very different, but it's still evolutionary. It's still an iPhone, you know? The true sort of revolutionary product or the full realization of, of a revolutionary product was, in my estimation, the Apple Watch, specifically the cellular Apple Watch. We're now in a world where you can go out with a watch on your wrist, AirPods in your ears, and have continuous sort of ambient computing with you all the time. And that is a step change from where we've been before. I think you just completely nailed it. The assessment of where they should have, where Tim Cook should have said that is completely right. And this is something that we've, we've talked about a bunch. This notion of the curse of success. The iPhone has been so successful, uh, that this is the lens through which Apple now sees the world. And it's kind of crazy, but to me, the most compelling part of the entire keynote was listening, watching the video where Apple customers had written in and talked about how this device had changed their lives. And the device being the watch. The watch, yeah. And from the, the blind marathon runner in China to the, uh, there were just all these cool instances. And the one that was by far the most compelling, it almost gave me shivers, was when this gentleman had a car accident and uh, the, the 
the uh, the phone was thrown out of the vehicle or out of his reach. And he remembered he had his Apple Watch on and he called emergency services and they talked him through until the ambulance arrived. And it's like, that is the power of this device. And with the, like you said, with the addition of the LTE, like cellular connectivity, this thing now can, has the potential to displace the phone, you don't need to walk out of the house with a phone. It is so friggin' cool. And yet from so many, I mean, and this is, this is the moment that we've been waiting for. We talked about way back when, like it's finally got to the point where it can connect to a cell network all by itself, but it still feels so heavily tethered to the phone in terms of pricing, in terms of uh, uh, like, I don't think you can set one up unless you have a phone for an iPhone, for example, like all these things where it's like, let this thing loose and stop thinking about it as augmenting the phone. Think about it as a device that could potentially start to to replace the iPhone. I can't believe we are literally going to have the exact same argument. <laughs> <laughs> when the iPhone launched, you could not just start the phone. You had to connect uh-huh. it to a computer. It like you had like that was the context in which in which it started. And that's the way these things work. You have to start from where you are to get to where you're going. That's the hardest thing. It's always easy to envision the future. It's always to see this is where we'll be. It's always easy to imagine you can just you, you, like you have that computer always with you. I mean, you uh, mm. you mentioned you know you you actually started to watch her this summer, and appropriately enough, you didn't finish. But <laughs> but this idea of there being sort of ambient computing, you don't you can see it, you can think about it, you can envision it, you can write a sci fi novel or create a TV show in which that exists. But mm. the question in this always the question with all these sorts of things is yes, I can imagine this, but how do you get from here to there? What's mm. the path you take? Where do you start? And I think it, you know this is the if the, if there was a tension that we had about the watch and, and potentially still have is you want to be there now and i i feel i'm i'm still very concerned about what what's the path how do we get there and in this case i actually think the watch today in 2017 is in a really really good spot as as far as apple is concerned and and frankly i'm impressed with the way apple is going about it the the big problem with the watch when it launched in my estimation was that there was no what was there was no reason Mm. for it to exist there Mm -hmm. was no explanation why do you need this particularly since you needed the iphone next to it for technical reasons that that that, you know that you had to have you had to have both but but at the same time the whole reason that triggered the argument is we we kind of agreed the first time like there's no message here and what triggered it was like was me thinking about this okay it's going to be a cellular watch it's going to be a standalone device and Thinking, well, you know what? Actually, it is worth it to go now. And you're like, maybe it's not worth it now. But this, but my thinking about d- doing it now is is getting it out there. And what they did, what turned the watch around, was not just refreshing the software. It was not just refreshing the hardware. Those were both certainly useful. Mm-hmm. What actually mattered here was marketing. Was actually having an explanation and articulation mm-hmm. of what this thing is for. And in this case, it was health and fitness. And and you could see that pay off in this announcement. Because in this case, it's not, oh, now here's a cellular watch. It was imagine running, and now you don't no longer need to have your iPhone in a fanny pack or on your shoulder, or if you or if you're not carrying it, be worried you're unreachable. Like you can step out and go for a run, and they're not selling it as a phone replacement because it can't do that yet. The battery life is still not good enough to be to use your your, your primary device, and Siri's not good enough, and the interaction is good enough. There's lots of stuff that's not good enough, but what it's good enough for a specific use case that makes sense that your phone can't do. And I think it's in great shape from a technological perspective, from a product perspective, and it, most importantly from a from a marketing perspective. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's hard to untether where they've been from where they are now, because I, I absolutely agree with what you've just described. They have articulated a reason for being that is much more compelling than let's just throw this at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. And your assessment of let's, when, when the phone first launched, it needed a computer in order to start. I, I totally agree with that. I guess this for me, it's this notion of uh, would they be willing to, from a business perspective, would they be willing to sell this if there wasn't an iPhone sale attached to it? Like, and that's the thing where I think it's, and I recognize that um, that maybe there is a degree of, well, there probably is a degree of integration required with um, an I, uh, an iPhone in terms of like sharing the calls, sharing iMessage, so on and so forth. But you could buy an iPhone as a Windows user after not too long. It would integrate with iTunes and you could boot it up there. Uh, like, could if I had an Android device and a PC, could I buy one of these things? And it's the little things like that that suggest to me that they're still thinking of this in terms of how how do we use this as a means to sell more iPhones as opposed to how can we start to use this to disrupt the sale of the iPhone altogether? And uh, coming back to where we started, the fact that Tim Cook thought that the iPhone 10, the iPhone 10, I was about to call it the iPhone X, the iPhone 10 was the most revolutionary thing. That quote that you described, like that speaks to me to the problem that the company has. And they have certainly addressed it in large part based on compared to where we were years ago when we first talked about it. But there are still these little signs that this remains. And it worries me because I feel like it's going to limit the potential of the device. I, I think you're you're being contrarian. You're either being contrarian or you're like falling in love with having this sort of theoretical articulation of of there being a problem. When in reality, all evidence on the table is that the problem you're talking about doesn't actually exist. I mean, oh wait, Tim Cook said that the revolutionary product was iPhone 10. Like, oh, okay, but what we actually see here is a slow and steady iter- iteration for the watch to be a standalone device. And you know, it's one of those things like. Should it work with 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 Android and all these sorts of things? Like, why? Like, no one who's buying an Android device is is, is buying is buying a watch. I mean, there's there, like there's multiple explanations here, and yes, you can choose the they are they are setting themselves up for disruption and blinded by their current success, or you can look at the exact opposite way and say, well, first off, no one who has an iPhone. Or no one who buys an Apple Watch isn't going to already have an iPhone. Like just the the type of customer that it's going to be, and the things they're going to care about. One, two, the fact that that lets them get a head start. It lets them get this product out there because there's so many more things you can do with it being paired paired to a phone, as opposed to waiting for it to be a fully standalone device. Mm. I mean, there, there's an aspect of iteration and getting it better over time that you're missing out on. I mean, th- they wouldn't have the health and fitness framing. This is the benefit of the first one, even though it, it was so poorly framed. If anything, I think maybe part of it was they figured out a better framing and they kind of scaled it back. Part of it was also they just saw the only people using it are the people who, who, who have health and fitness things. Like there's an aspect of getting feedback here and your articulation, they should have this like godlike view of how it should be framed and how it should be sold and, and completely independent. It's it's falling in love with the theory of of like how you should approach a disruptive product in ignoring kind of one, the reality on the ground of what actually works, and two, what they're actually doing. I mean, again, I'll go back to my my piece from last year after last year's last year's launch. I think it's deeply impressive what they're doing. They are 
pushing the industry towards a world where you don't need a phone. And that's a far more dangerous place for Apple given their organizational capabilities mm. and strengths. If anything, you could argue they're being foolhardy about it. I'll be honest, you're convincing me. Again, I think part of my part of my frustration lies with where it started from and where it's come because I remember back to our original conversation about this and describing the functionality that I describing the functionality that I wanted and my frustration that there was no reason for being and that this it lacked this this core competency of cellular connectivity and being disappointed, but figuring I should give it a shot anyway. And I bought it and I found myself not using it. And I'm now like, oh, wow, they've finally added cellular connectivity to it. Like, this is fantastic. This is the thing that's been missing. And then I get to the point of like, thinking about okay i could give this i could drop another 450 bucks or whatever it's going to be on one of these things i'm like hang on i didn't really use the first one this much could i give it a shot so maybe maybe what my articulation of this is is more frustration of the way that it has evolved and in particular the way that it launched without that specific use case than where it's at now because what you say makes lots of sense and i am a big believer in this consistent uh, the, the grinding of like you every cycle, you get a little bit better, you get a little bit better. And you take a look at what they managed to do with the iPhone and that approach that they've taken and, and how amazing that product is now. And that is a function of taking that approach. So it's certainly not a reservation around that. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's the evolution of the product, the way that it's come into being. And I wonder how many people they're missing as a result of that. I feel like I'm one of them and I'm frustrated with it. No, I, I think that's – I actually think I completely agree with you. Like I still think the first watch was a – I mean disaster is a little strong, but it was a big mess. And not just from a marketing thing. The other thing is they had this ridiculous development paradigm where you had to run these watch – these apps that basically ran on your phone and broadcast to the watch. And then within nine months, a new version came out like, oh, now they can actually run on the watch as, as native apps. It's like why did we waste time? And they pushed heavily on developers to build these apps that were total crap. Hmm. And were bad to use, made the experience bad to use. If the original watch had been like the original iPhone, no apps, hmm. just a pure core functionality uh, that that Apple built in and ran natively, I think they would be in much better position. And because in this, so we're totally on the same page here. Like it, it's better to sell limited functionality where that functionality is awesome than mm, to sell a yeah. ton of functionality where a lot of it's mediocre. And that's exactly what happened with the first version of the watch. And you're right. They are still paying that price. And so, uh, you know, I actually do agree with you. And I think you're sort of – you've been scarred. And and I think that's a very fair that, – that, that's very fair. And I think it's it was a mistake, and it's a mistake that they're – that they are still paying. I, I think there's also an element too, which is I identify as someone who is very active, like very into health and fitness. And I – and maybe maybe it's because I'm uh, I, I don't need the things to help me. I don't need the push. I don't need the tracking. But as someone who's very into health and fitness and who's used one of these things in the pool, in yoga, in the gym, and I just don't see I I personally haven't got any of the benefit out of it. And there was an interesting New York Times article, and I should dig it up that basically looked at some of the research that showed that 
that there was no difference between people who had one of these devices and people who didn't in terms of health outcomes. In fact, it would the, the, the research actually suggested that people who ended up investing in some of these devices and it literally tested the Apple Watch ended up with worse health outcomes than people who didn't. And when there's that gap between the 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 what is promised and what is delivered, which is so far away from the the revel the way that the the iPhone completely revolutionized people's lives when they got it. I, and maybe this is maybe this is also part of speaking to the thing. It's like that that primary use case that they're pushing of health and fitness isn't working for me, and I'm really looking for them to jump on the more of the watch replacement type functionality. And your point about it, it's not quite ready yet, and it couldn't be quite ready yet, but it's still worth putting out there and gradually incrementing it. Maybe that's where part of my frustration stems from, because going back to what you said earlier, it does make complete sense. Like that rationale is very logical and it's a great way to get a product out there and to improve it to the point of which you look at the iPhone and you see that today. Yeah, I don't know the article you're talking about. Was it a recent one? Uh, it was. It was like six months back. Um, right, yeah, we'll we'll put in the show notes. I, yep. uh, just so, just heads up. I'm going to talk about it without having read it, which okay. is terrible. But I, I'm. I would just say, as a rule, anything that involves uh, such a massive number of variables, such as health mm. outcomes relative to buying a consumer electronics device, I'm mm. going to be extremely skeptical of. Like, okay. I think the vast majority of these research articles are are. are not, not worth the paper that's printed on my opinion, which is the newspapers <laughs> as we've articulated is not worth the paper. <laughs> so uh, uh anyhow, so uh, oh I I was gonna check the uh I was gonna check the price of the Apple Watch with cellular. I actually I'm not I couldn't remember what it was either. But the Apple store is down because I, I had completely forgot that the Apple eight pre orders are are coming up shortly. Are you are you going to pre order an Apple an Apple or a iPhone eight, I should say? Before I answer that, I think the pricing was uh, it's three ninety nine pre tax for the cellular, the base cellular one with the smaller screen, and like four twenty nine for the for the cellular one with the bigger screen. Um, iPhone eight, I am probably not. I have probably I am probably going to be lured into the iPhone ten. I suspect. So who's going to buy the iPhone eight? It's a really good question. Um, I so I. <sighs> It's a, it's a really good question. Um, I think there are folks for whom, for whatever reason, they don't want to spend the extra money, uh, or maybe they just need a new phone right now, or for whatever reason, maybe they don't like the iPhone 10. For example, I was looking into the, some of the UI requirements for the notch, which is the device that houses the speaker and all the cameras on the front of the phone have started to be released into the wild just before this podcast, I was reading about it. And from a UI perspective, it's really quite an unattractive, ugly thing. And it was one of the first things that gave me pause. It's like, oh, wow. For example, when you're looking at Safari in landscape mode, uh, it looks like Apple just put two white bars or, or down the side. There's been talk that perhaps you can match the HTML color so it doesn't look quite as jarring. But basically, they're they're ruling out both sides of the screen. And like, for example, for such a beautiful, clean product, um, and it, it kind of is jarring. Maybe there are other things that people don't like about it. Maybe people really like the thumbprint sensor or are nervous about the facial recognition to unlock or, or just don't feel like the difference between the two, as pretty as it might be, is worth the money. I, but I think the the fact that I'm struggling here is driving exactly at the point of your question, which is 
particularly in the context of they have the iPhone they have the iPhone 7, they have the iPhone 6, they're going to continue to to leave it up there and leave it for sale. It's it's a it's a good question. I, I'm not exactly sure. Right, cuz if you if you just need a new iPhone or you're concerned about price, why you know, there's an aspect of like fine, I'll get the I'll, I'll get the high-end one, but if you're not going to get the high-end one, at what point does sort of the, the, the tumble down the slope stop, right? You may still get an iPhone, but why don't you just get an iPhone 7 or why don't you get an iPhone 6S? If, you, if getting the quote-unquote best iPhone is too expensive, then you know, d- does it matter that in a normal year, the iPhone 8, which by the way, is a pretty fantastic upgrade. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I think w- I'm extremely excited about wireless charging for one. And, and the, you know, the, the usual, the, the chips play faster, the, the, the camera's better, you know, the, the true tone display, like it, that makes, if you have one of the newer iPads, you know, that makes a massive difference. Like yeah. it's a fantastic, I, I think if this was, that, if that was the high end phone, I think it would do, it would do very, very well. But I, I- but yeah. if you care about that, why aren't you going to just get the iPhone 10 or wait, wait for that? So here's a here's another perspective. I think that it's, I mean, and the, the rumors certainly suggested it prior to launch and the way that these devices are launching also certainly reinforces it. It looks like it's going to be extremely supply constrained and probably driven by the OLED panel of which there's only one supplier, which is Samsung. Um, it looks like there are probably a bunch of new manufacturing uh, uh, approaches to it, which are also going to delay it. And I'm sure there are going to be people who, for whatever reason, want to walk into a store right now and want to buy a device right now. And the, if Apple hadn't released, uh, like, I think Apple realized that there were a bunch of underlying hardware improvements that they made that are significant over the existing phone, but not everyone, they weren't going to be able to make enough iPhone 10s for everybody. Therefore, having a uh, uh, an upgraded iPhone in much the same form factor was a way of trying to match supply and demand with, with for people who just like okay my phone died or it's time for a new phone or like like what you said like there are a bunch of underlying improvements that might get people on board like all right I'll just get one of these instead because I don't want to wait three months for a new iPhone 10. So let's back up because I think it's really interesting to there's so much going on here from from sort of the a, a, Apple's approach. I mean, we're 10 years in and they basically completely overhauled how they are selling iPhones. Like it's mm. it's a it's a pretty big deal. So let's let's back up a little bit. So to date, and there's been one exception, which we will certainly t- we'll certainly touch on. But to date, Apple has followed the the exact same the, the, basically the same strategy. They launch a new iPhone for $650. The previous year iPhone sells for $550, and mm. the two-year-old iPhone sells for $450. And then occasionally, at times, they've also sold like the three-year-old iPhone for for even less, like $350 or $400, somewhere on there. And usually only in emerging markets, not 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 in developed markets. So that's and that's basically what they've done every single year. Now there have been the, the big addition was with the iPhone six, where they added the plus. And they increased the price by $100. So it was $750. $750. And impressively, and this is honestly, it, it really gets to Apple's differentiation and the way that software differentiates hardware. Where, and, and you know, if anything, this is kind of the, the if I might say so myself, the winning pin, pin of like the iPhone's going to be disrupted and it's in trouble, which is that after seven years, whenever the iPhone 6 came out, iPhone average selling price went up. 
Yeah. Right? That, that, like, that was over, game over. It's not going to be disrupted by lower end good enough sort of phones. Like, there is a sustainable differentiation here that, that is meaningful. I'm going to bear the cross. I, I think you were doing a little bit of trash talking of the disruption crowd, but let me bear the cross because I was guilty of this as well. I, I remember back at the iPhone 5, iPhone 6, it's like, Guys, I don't know how you're going to improve this. You know what? I'd be happy, and I'm still a little frustrated that they haven't nailed this. I'd just be happy if you shipped a device where the battery managed to last a full day under a decent load. And I was like, how can they improve it beyond that? But I think the insight that you had around this is the device with which people have on them all the time every all day every day and as a as an apple lover like there's one part of me that knows that i i love this device like i can't imagine having to use an android device it's fantastic all the things about it are fantastic i love the user interface i love how apple thinks about this stuff but there was this part of me it's like i don't see how they can improve this it's it's starting to get good enough i'm like improve the battery and that's all over so i was one of the ones that was like i think the asp is going to start coming down and um the the plus certainly the plus certainly put a nail in the coffin of that and there i was lining up on launch day to get myself the biggest bloody screen that i could i could possibly <laughs> afford and i have not gone back since so yeah <laughs> well, well not just that but the one sort of the one other big change was last year where they actually increased the price of the plus by by twenty dollars so it went up to i believe 769 from 7 749 and the shift of the iphone 7 went even more to the plus like they the relative number of pluses to the regular phone increased with the seven even though the price went up so i think that's just that's not because people bought it because it's more expensive it was a secular shift to larger phones like mm. i think there's some number of people that bought the the smaller six or six s because like whoa this is a big jump and they're like actually no i want i want an even bigger yeah. phone this time around but again it, it sort of re-emphasizes the point the, the broader point that I, i've long been very interested in is I've always thought Apple has more headroom here because if you think about it to the point, if, if people quite clearly buying phones, price is not their top priority. Like that's, if anything, that's, if you want to encapsulate my, my sort of the reason why I pushed back on that argument way back mm. at the Minister Checkery, which, you know, as, as we've talked about kind of is what's kicked, kicked off exponent was us meeting in a coffee shop saying, arguing about this and saying mm. we should record a podcast about this. It was that it's that price is not the most important factor for some segment of the population. Mm. And if that is the case, then it, it's certainly worth finding out or there, there likely is, is more headroom there. Yeah. And, 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 so, so given that experience, and then given the the uh, circumstance that they're in, where it sounds like supply is going to be extremely constrained, I don't think they have that much to lose by trying it. And to be perfectly honest, I was I was a I was wondering whether it might be higher than what it actually is. I was wondering if they were going to push it a little bit further up. I, I suspect the market would have borne it. I still think that there are going to be people uh, lining up around the block. It's going to be impossible to get one of these things for whatever. There is, If you're not logged in at 12 a.m. on the 27th of October when these things go live, you're not going to see one. You're not going to have a chance of getting one until next year. That's my expectation. And the demand will be crazy and there will be people selling them on eBay for crazy amounts of money because there is a large number of people for whom you're exactly right. Price is just not an issue. They want the latest thing. They want whether it's what it represents in terms of functionality or see what this new screen is like or there's a status associated with it as well. And I, I just don't think they're going to have a problem moving these things at all. 
Yeah, so I, th- I think you, you kind of just did it now, but I think it's useful thinking about what are segmenting the the market for for, for Apple. What are the who who buys who buys iPhones? Because I think mm. that really gets into you know which is you know wh- where the success is going to come from if the eight's going to sell things like that. So you just touched on I think the two big ones that for sure are going to be interested in the iPhone ten. So number one is people that. Just they just want the the absolute best product that that Apple can mm. make. It doesn't matter, like they, whether because they use the phone all the time, whether because they're they're Apple fans, whether because you know they can. I mean, they just want to have the best product, and for them, again, here the iPhone eight is not really an option because, it, it, especially the the whole sort of like what what's in that notch, like all the interesting new technology that's in there, mm. just almost out of sheer curiosity, they're going to want to wait to buy, to buy that phone. So they're out, mm. they're out for the iPhone eight. They're going to wait for the iPhone 10. So number two is, and you mentioned the status thing. And I've like, I've been banging this drum for a few years now. And I think more and more people are, are, are starting mm. to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. The reason you buy an iPhone differs in different parts of the world. And in, Asia broadly and China in particular, the status aspect of an iPhone is meaningful. Like it, it, you can't, uh, you can't understand like the way luxury is consumed in this part of the world is just so different than the way it's consumed in America. Like it's almost impossible to understand. When I first came, I had I had no idea. I mean, <laughs> have I told the story? Like I, I remember I went to some buddies came over and we went, went on a trip to Thailand and I saw some cool bags on the road and I bought some and brought it back to my. To my then girlfriend, now now wife, and she was super mad at me, and I couldn't understand why. I'm like, oh, this is a cool looking bag. She's like, it, it turned out I had bought some knockoffs, right? And I didn't like, I didn't even know what these brands were, and the idea that I would buy a knockoff and and, and give it you know, like that, like no, not the kind of person that, buy, that buys knockoffs. Like, it, I mean, it's just it's just a different world than than what is in in the states. Yeah, the the I lived in Thailand for a year, and um, I I went past those areas where um, the knockoffs were sold. Like they're often sold on the street, but there are shops that do the really high end knockoffs. And occasionally you'd see locals in there, but more often than not, it would be Westerners like trying to get uh, <laughs> trying to get the the good looking copy at a fraction of the price. It's yeah, so you're right. It's like it's something that I don't think we appreciate as much as just because it's such a big cultural difference but i saw this device and again i i i've been converted to your thinking on this topic in particular like i just thought well this thing's going to be popular in china and they could probably price it even like this is part of the reason why i think they could price it more like that's just going to drive demand for that device as it gets more exclusive and harder to get a hold of because it's more expensive Right, exactly. And again, I, I tell that story not to – that story isn't a commentary on cultural differences. It's more a commentary on my ignorance coming from the West and not – and now like I've, I've actually – it's fascinating. I've learned so much more like all the brands are in a hierarchy. Like there's different ones that are – you know signify different things. And, and Apple is very much, very much a part of that. And you know, a criticism that I've had is keeping that same form factor I think was, was problematic. I mean was the phone dramatically better? Absolutely. And the phone being dramatically better appealed to that other segment, the segment that wanted the best in the new technology, right? But 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 you saw, you know, I talked about this in the context of WeChat, right? The the iPhone 7 was mm. actually a huge success. It was up, you know, 11% in, in this is quarter two. It was up 11% in the Americas, up 10% in Europe, up 20% in the rest of Asia Pacific. But in China, it was down 14%. And that 14% was dramatic improvement over the iPhone 6S, which was, which was, which was, which was down even more. And it's because 
I, for well, two factors. One, I think the appearance matters more there. And then two, we talked about the WeChat thing where the the actual experience of using iOS is less meaningful. It's easier to switch to another platform because the main medium of transaction is is so pervasive, that, that, that being WeChat the other, on the other ones. And so in this case, but the flip side of this, and it was a little... It was a little sort of frustrating, and like I saw people coming back and be like, "Oh, look at Ben walking back his WeChat thing." I'm not walking back anything. I said in that WeChat Apple article that I expect the new iPhone to be a huge success. My takeaway was the danger for Apple is not that if they make a beautiful new phone, it won't be successful in China. It's that they need to make a beautiful new phone. And when you yeah. get in a context where your your success depends on just hardware and not that combination of software and hardware, that's a much more difficult place to yeah. play. And that was always my conclusion. The fact that other people took that and ran with it to say Apple is in trouble in China was, a, I mean, it was amazing how far that this WeChat Apple thing spread, but it was a little frustrating watching the sort of telephone tag start saying something different when my takeaway was actually the takeaway from the implication of this article is that the next iPhone is going to be a huge success in China. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because it, it has nullified one of their greatest advantages all around the rest of the world, which is that integration of hardware and software. And you can start to think of Apple as, I mean, it's slightly more elevated than than just that because of brand cachet. And there are, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are still apps on the iOS app store that people still want to use. They're not entirely within WeChat. But to a greater or lesser extent, they are much more commoditized in China as a result of WeChat's existence. And uh, I mean, this also speaks perhaps to why the iPhone 8 is in existence, because given this set of facts, if I was Tim Cook, I would be sending a lot of those iPhone t- uh, iPhone 10s over to China yep. and charging more over there and crushing China that way. And then the reason for having the iPhone 8 is to placate everyone all around the rest of the world where the hardware software integration matters a hell of a lot more. And so they're willing to like not have necessarily the best looking hardware, but still get all the benefits of the hardware software integration and the improvements in the hardware that Apple have made with this latest generation of phones. I think that's exactly it. Because I, to me, the the reason to be optimistic about the iPhone 8 uh, is that is the iPhone 7 success. The, the fact that the iPhone 7, which again, was mostly internal improvements. Yes, the the, the, the sort of outside exterior changed change slightly, but it was it was a lot of people that was just time to buy a new phone, and and they and they and they, mm. bought, they, they bought they bought the new the new iPhone, and again you're gonna lose that aspect that absolutely wants the best and will pay for it. But the iPhone's so big now that the sort of marginal customer there's a whole lot that's a third segment. It's a segment of people that just upgrade their iPhone every two to three years, and this will be the next iPhone they buy. Like they're, they're like, oh, I'm not gonna get that crazy one, but oh, there's a nice new iPhone here. Now, are they gonna maybe just get a six S or a seven? It's possible. I mean, and that's going to be really interesting to watch to see how that plays out. Are they going to be like, ah, oh, I can't afford the 10, but I don't want to get an old iPhone or I don't want to get a, a second rate one. It's possible. And that's why, I mean, the, my our, my conclusion here was this course is going to be fascinating. I, I genuinely don't know how this is going to play out. I mean, the the other big difference, the, the phone we haven't talked about, the sort of uh, the the elf in the room, as it were, is the 5C. And the 5C, I think, was in many respects a failure, but it was a one of the most productive failures, I think, that Apple's ever had. From my perspective as an analyst, it was it was incredibly productive anyways. Because what the 5C, I think, really showed was that 
the iPhone, you can't make a second best iPhone, right? The iPhone, mm. the iPhone succeeds by being the best. And to make a second best one, by definition, it's not going to work. And even though, even, and this is why the selling the old iPhone strategy is so effective because there's another segment of the market, which is sort of an aspirational segment of the market. And, and maybe they, they may be in developed countries where, where they're cost or they're cost constrained. But I think particularly in developing markets where, yeah, I, maybe I can't afford that top of the line iPhone, but I can afford this other one. And by the way, when I'm using it, it's clear it's an iPhone. No one knows if I just bought it. As at a discounted mm. price, or I might have had it for two years and I bought it new two exactly. years ago. It's still an iPhone, and the five C was always a cheap iPhone. It was, it was you saw it in like I remember Johnny Ives said in the video it was like un like it embraces that as plastic or unambiguously plastic, whatever. Like that was a problem because it that meant it wasn't an iPhone. And in this case, you know the iPhone eight. In some respects, maybe it will sell this year, but it's almost like the iPhone 8 is going to really reach its potential in like two or three years when it's still in the line and it's fulfilling that role of being the aspirational iPhone that is still very much an iPhone. Yeah, I think that insight around... I bought it right now, but it looks like I've had it for a little while and it's no big deal. And oh, I have an iPhone. I think that's a, that's a keen observation. And that's the thing that the 5C demonstrated because you could, you never had it as it, it never could have been the, the, the good iPhone to have purchased. It was always like, oh, you got the second rate iPhone. I, I think that's, um, I think that's really interesting. The, the good thing for Apple is that. At the end of the day, a lot of these problems are very sort of short-term problems, right? Where they may sell fewer iPhones than they normally would in the first quarter, for example, but they'll sell more mm-hmm. in future quarters once once supply sort of sort of comes online. So, I mean, mm-hmm. th- these are very like these are very good problems to have. But I mean, I guess the other thing that I find really interesting, and this is, I was really trying to tease this out in the article, and and I, I hope I succeeded. It was it was a little hard, but there's this aspect where part of what made has made Apple so incredibly successful is just the the uh, the massive amount of alignment within the business where really yeah. all it came down to is just make the best possible iPhone you can and they they kind of had this strategy with the the trickle down strategy where you had s- sold the old iPhones as as a lesser iPhone or as a cheaper iPhone I should say where all you had to do, all that Apple had to do as a company was just make the best possible iPhone they could every year. And like all mm. the other stuff took care of itself. And we just did this sort of exercise to define market segments. But Apple never had to do that exercise as far as, as, far as actually selling the phone. All they had to say was the best iPhone. And they attracted the people who wanted the best. They attracted the status seekers. They attracted the aspirational. They attracted people who just you know wanted a new device that had iMessage on it or that it had, had their apps or had the interface they were used to. Like just all they had to do was make the best device. And, and there's something so powerful about that sort of alignment. And what's interesting about this, this is clearly a shift. Like this is a segmentation strategy. Apple is now selling like seven or eight different iPhones at seven mm. or eight different price points, which is that's what that's if you follow the theory, like that's what you should do, right? When you're when the market is growing, the easiest way to get growth is to sell into a growing market, right? Because right. the secular effects give you growth, right? Mm. But Apple, the, the smartphone market's not growing anymore. So how do you grow? There's lots of ways. Well, one, you can increase the average selling price, which Apple is absolutely doing. You can start to price discriminate so that you're you're maximizing sort of the revenue from from different people with different preferences. That's what they're now doing as well. You can get, you know, sort of sell more things to them. And now they can sell like AirPods. They can sell these pads. So Apple is taking all these actions that will... Increase that will give them growth without the the addressable market increasing, but 
it, it's getting it, it's losing sort of that purity of the model that was that is why the iPhone was the most successful product you know ever. Yeah, but I I don't think the purity is required anymore. I think the the most important time for the purity is right at the start when you launch something new and there's a real risk that you confuse people. The beautiful thing about looking at that device lineup now is people are accustomed to it and they understand what's going on and they choose based on their price and the way that they're stretching it out and the way that they're, I mean, there's all the tooling and stuff associated on the back end to set up one of these, to set up uh, uh, manufacturing of one of these devices and now they're going to get to run that for longer which is also going to help them bring in bring their cost basis down because it's not like you're just tooling for one year and then the whole thing gets torn apart it's tooling lasting for three four years and a run that long and that's fantastic for them because it means they they get to stretch that fixed cost out over a much longer time frame I completely agree. I, I, it's more when I say that that's going away, it's like, a, wow, that was a great model. But no, I think they're exactly right to go in this direction. Like, it, it, like you have to evolve. And actually, one of the first articles around Shish Checker, I think it might have been the third or fourth article, was called uh, back in 2013, April 2013, Apple, Samsung, and the Parable of the Model T. And what that are people were mocking the idea. Of course, Apple's not going to make different screen size iPhones. They're like, oh, look at Samsung. Samsung's selling like 20 different screen sizes, blah, 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 blah. And in retrospect, it's kind of incredible, right? People were mocking the idea of Apple making a different size iPhone. And the analogy that I drew in this article, mm. there's a very one of the most famous stories in sort of business history is what happened with Ford and GM. And what happened was was Ford pioneered Ford didn't invent the car but they pioneered the assembly line model of of building a car so they could just churn out churn out all these cars exactly and bring scale to bear so they could drive down the price and they like they put America on the roads with, with with the Model T and they kept making that same damn car and what you can have any color you want as long as it's black why because by not having any customization by doing the same thing they could dramatically increase the returns to scale and they were the most successful company in the world for like 15 20 years but what happened GM came along this is now a this is this is a mature market right people are not just buying new cars they're buying their second car and the person that's buying their second car, their preferences are going to be different than the person buying their first car. Maybe they want to have a different color. Maybe they want to have a different model. Maybe they want to demonstrate status. Yeah. All this stuff is exactly what GM did, and that's why they had the multi-brand strategy. They had Cadillac. They had Oldsmobile. They had Buick. They had Chevrolet, all of which – Pontiac, all of which – told different brand stories and which had slightly different cars built on a common platform. So they were still getting scale advantages, but not as great a scale as Ford. But the payoff was this personalization and segmentation. And what happened was they wiped the floor with Ford. They, they passed Ford and never looked back. And they were the number one car maker in the world for the next 50 years. And and, and why? Because Ford fell so in love with the, the old perfectly aligned, beautiful model, and they didn't change. Mm. And this was why I wrote this article. Like, Apple, you need to change. You're getting your rear end handed to you by not building a higher screen iPhone, which I, I dare say was a pretty good call by me. And, and that certainly bore out with the success. I think this is the natural progression of that. And yeah, it's going to be a little bumpy this quarter because it's kind of weird. And they have to, they, like, they don't know how it's going to play out. Maybe the iPhone 8 will be fine. Maybe no one will buy it. But in the long run, it's a much better place to be given the state of the market. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that parable is fantastic. And the, this idea that you need to evolve with the market and what is, what is the right call at the start when people are wrapping their heads around things and the, the singular focus lets you get to scale faster versus, oh, like you look around 15 years later and cars are a thing, but everyone has the same car and maybe I want something different from my neighbor. Like that, like that evolution, the parable is perfect in terms of describing it. Yeah. Uh, you, I, you saw around the corner on that one, totally. I think that's probably a lesson that Apple also learned from from the the six and the success. I mean, you got to remember. I mean, no one saw that coming. Least of all Apple. I mean, it was mm. so unbelievably successful, and it turned out with Samsung. I mean, that was the issue with Samsung, right? Like Samsung hat was like everyone. Samsung's going to take over Apple. Actually, what happened was larger screen phones was such a selling point that people would actually buy a different brand to get a larger screen phone, right? And once Apple erased that, you know. It was lights out in some respects for Samsung. I mean, because they have such scale and they have, you know, all of them in the low end and they're kind of the alternative if you don't want iOS, if you want Android. Samsung is still doing okay, but it's nowhere. I mean, you got to remember when I started Shatekery, I got so much traction, frankly, about saying, because everyone's like, Apple's screwed. This is where they're going downhill. Average selling price is going to fall. They have to make a lower price iPhone. And no, they didn't. They needed to give customers what they wanted, which was not lower prices. It was more in different iPhones. Before we finish, there's actually one other thing that I wanted to to ask you about, because I had a point of view on this as well, which is uh, one of the things that you've consistently talked about um, whenever we dive into keynotes or whenever you write about keynotes is how you really enjoy the framing of uh, the discussion because it gives you insight into how they're thinking about the product. And we jumped straight into the watch. And we talked a little bit about it, like in terms of how Cook put the prominence on the uh, iPhone 10 versus the watch. But like, what did you think of the overall framing of this? Like, what was your sense? I, I was disappointed. Like, there was no framing. I mean, they, they were talking about the iPhone 10 being, well, in the iPhone specifically, they have the iPhone 10 being revolutionary and all this sort of stuff. But the iPhone 8 was like, oh, hey, here's a new iPhone. Here's lots of stuff. And yeah, Shilla looked just bored. I know. It was amazing. Like, there was no enthusiasm or excitement about the 8 at all. It was like, okay, we got to We got to get through this. Then in, and then the 10's like, and the iPhone 10. Da, 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 da. Uh-huh. I, I mean, in some respects, that's like, that's Apple being Apple. You know, like, you know, uh, yeah. who wants to who wants to talk about the old thing when there's a new thing to talk mm. about? But mm-hmm. I was pretty disappointed that there really wasn't any attempt to sell the iPhone 8, right? I guess, but if you think about it, I mean, to defend Apple, anyone who's going to watch an Apple keynote probably falls in that they want the best iPhone. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, totally. There was, I, I, I almost hesitate to raise this, but there was one other thing that kind of bugged me a little bit about the whole thing. And it, it, there were moments, where, and I say this as someone who loves the company and like you spend a bit of time working there and appreciate the attitudes, but there were moments where the, the Steve Jobs homage almost felt a little bit cultish, like, uh, like the opening of the new theater and naming it after him. I totally get it, but like the, the, like the emotional Steve would be proud. Like, I, I don't know. There was something about it that I just found a little jarring. And I realized like he is one of the greatest product people in history. And he's done it like what he did was incredible in so many respects, but the way in which he keeps coming up, I, I don't know. There was something about it that like creeped me out just a little bit. Did you get a sense of that? 
I I get what you're saying, but I, I guess I would disagree with one point. I don't think he mm. has come up. I, I don't believe Apple has ever referenced Steve Jobs in a keynote since he passed away. So in that respect, if ever they were going to sort of play this card, as it were, and invoke him, mm. this was the time to do it. And I mean, certainly you can say like the fact that, you know, I mean, the, the, the theater looks incredible. I mean, for I couldn't go this year for logistical reasons, but I almost missed seeing that than the, the handling the, mm. the new phones. And, you know, and certainly you, there's a debate and argument to be had about building, you know, this massive campus and, and you know, what happens to companies when they start, you know, they get a little too proud of themselves and, and so on mm. and so forth. And, and I think that's a reasonable position to have. But as far as kind of invoking Steve Jobs and dedicating it to him, I thought, I, I thought it was – I actually thought it was really good. Like I, it, it was almost – I thought it was really well done. I, so I guess I I can understand your point of view, but I think mm. they managed to walk the line. And I loved I actually I loved how they started with the Beatles and, and all and all you need is love showing this building. Because the <laughs> I mean it's so over the top if you just say they started out with a three and a half minute video showing a building. Like it's ridiculous, right? But you have that all you need is love. And maybe it's me having the context of of having of understanding one, but two having argued that. No, Apple means it. They just try to make good products. And the reason it works out is for all these business model reasons, which I just articulated a few minutes ago. And that's why it's so powerful because they actually can afford to have that sort of intrinsic motivation of I want to do really good as opposed to mm. I'm doing it because my monetary monetary incentives are driving yep. me in this direction, right? Like there's so there's yeah. so much power that comes from that. And in that case, all you need is love. I immediately picked up on what they're driving at is we love we love making great products. And this building and the fact we, we, it comes from that love. And, you know, there's a story that I, that I've, I've, I think I've told in the podcast before, but when I was interviewing on Microsoft and I talked about, you know, at Apple, if you do a presentation, for example, at least in the vision that I worked in and like it's misaligned or like there's a weird spacing between words or something like that, I get stopped and say, you're clearly not prepared. Why don't you come back next week when you've actually taken the time to do a good job? <laughs> and it's like, and it sounds, people will hear that. Like, oh my God, that sounds terrible. And then my interview interviewer's like, oh, don't worry. We're not like that. Like we just, we, we get stuff done. And like, yeah, actually I, I was saying it complimentary. Like you don't turn it off. Caring about that little stuff, you don't decide I care about the little stuff in the user interface that I'm designing, but I don't care about it on the slides that I'm making. Like you care or you don't. And mm. In that context, to say love, 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 whatever the song went on, and then showing this building, like it was a manifestation and a result of that approach. And then they just nailed it with the Steve comment that they had, which is from an internal presentation, which is basically saying exactly that. Like the way people express you know, their appreciation for humanity is by making really good stuff. And yeah, you can say that's corny and look at you, you're, you're, you're a super rich company. It's easy for you to say, but I would flip that on its head and say, that's why they're a super rich company that resonates. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And th th it was almost like that was less for, that was less for the outside audience. And I feel like that start was more for the, f for the, the true believers inside of Apple or, or the people that love the company. I'm going to push back on true believers because I, I don't, I like, I don't think I'm a true believer in Apple. And and oh, I, I, no, no, but, no, no, but the reason I say yeah, that is because because I I heard the message and appreciated it, and I think I can hear and appreciate that without being a cultist or being a you know a, a quote unquote fanboy. But really, like in some respects, my writing about Apple, the, kind of the overarching theme is defending the idea 
that you can be super successful by the pure pursuit of being great. It doesn't have to be all about competing on price and cost. And you can actually overcome disruption by delivering something that people truly love such that price plummets in the list of priorities. Yeah, and in, in I would caveat that in, in the right circumstances, and this is definitely one of them. Right. Consumers, they touch it, they interact with it. Like right. app, right. Apple, that doesn't work in other contexts. It doesn't work in enterprise, for example, which is sort of the, you know, the hook that we talked about previously. Mm. Uh, but uh, I mean, I can imagine someone working at one of the other one of the other big tech companies or somewhere else, and hearing that and and feeling really compelled by that message. Like that message didn't feel like it was necessarily for consumers so much as it was for people who might want to work there or people who are working there. And I think that was incredibly powerful. And I agree with you about the quote from the internal presentation that they started off with around around. Uh, from jobs around like this is an expression of what we do and uh, i i'm with you and i guess uh, yeah and there's a tension here because like everything you've described i agree with but there were just moments about and i i guess it's hard for me to entirely empathize because obviously tim cook knew steve jobs they worked hand in hand and and they were there as the company just took off on on jobs second time round as ceo of the company and, and, and cook had a big big role in that Oh, a huge role in that. I mean, uh, so and everything. I mean, I can imagine Cook saying how much he learnt from from Steve, and completely that being completely uh, true. Like I, I can only imagine. So it's easy for me to like push back on th- on that, and I guess also the ten year anniversary and everything. It's like a milestone, but there were just elements throughout the presentation where it came up where it's like, oh, which is totally fair. I mean, if you step back and just kind of, you know, neutrally say, yeah, Apple started out uh, by playing a song by the Beatles in a three-minute video of a building and talked about, you know, how, you know, how wonderful they are. I'm like, like, it was ridiculous in some respects, right? It was like, yeah, there's lots of problems in the world. Apple making phones and making a whole ton of money doing it. Let's, let's, let's not break your arm too badly patting yourself on the back, right? It's totally, it's totally legitimate. But at the same time, that's like, I I actually quoted, you know, Lennon from the song here because I thought it captured it right like it's the all you need is love is kind of very cynical in some respects like there's nothing you can do that i'm quoting there's nothing you can do that can't be done it's like oh hey yeah good good luck go do something by definition the fact you can do it means it's not that special like anyone could have done it there's nothing you can Mm. sing that can't be sung there's nothing you can say but you can learn how to play the game like it's like this sucks like you can't go do something special you can play along and figure stuff out nothing you can make that can't be made nothing you can save that can't be saved but then that the 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 killer line is nothing you can do but you can learn how to be you in time like what's so special about that sort of self-actualization of understanding who you are and doing what you were put on this world to, to, to do is that is the one thing you can do that no one else can do. You, James, cannot do what Ben was meant to do. I cannot do what James was meant to do. And there's the power that comes from understanding what you were meant to do and then doing it is incredible and it's so fulfilling and and it's meaningful not just to you, but it's meaningful to the people that you can touch with what you end up doing because what springs from that is so much more powerful and impactful than what springs from just doing something for money. And it was certainly jobs. Like if you think about it, jobs the first time was kind of this dictatorial designer and trying to do everything. And there's all these stories about him with the original Mac, and he had to go away. It was too much and to be in the wilderness. And the difference when he came back to Apple was 
he was much more of an editor in chief. Like he let other people do it, and and he could know what, when to say yes, when to say no, and kind of shielding himself from the general. Like you, if you're an employee at Apple, yes, you would interact with him, you might present to him, and it, was, it was terrifying. But by and large, as I understand it, it was very different from the first time where he was just like prowling around in, in the hands and everything. And what was the right place for him? It was at Apple, but within Apple, what was the right context? And this isn't, and you know, the guy had major problems. We know all about his personal issues and, and issues with family, stuff like that. But you also can't deny that him in his right place was unbelievably impactful. And Apple in its right place, making great products, not trying to build good enough cheap products, like that's when the company falls apart, right? They're, they're at their best when they're doing their best possible thing. And, you know, yeah, it's easy to look at that cynically, but. For me, it was it was inspirational. I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up. I couldn't have said it better myself. Our thanks to Mailchimp for sponsoring Exponent as they do every week, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. I, I now I'm going to be branded a cultist, but I'm not a cultist. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye.